Oh, well. Anyway, some bad lip reading for you. Hey, uh, turn in your Bibles. If you're visiting, we really do study the Bible here. Uh, Good to have you. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Uh, We are continuing our expositional Bible study in the Gospel of John. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. And today happens to have led us to uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 20. Um, to catch you up, Jesus has just uh, triumphantly entered Jerusalem. That was last week. Uh, all four Gospels report that um, uh, account, and uh, we pick up our story in verse 20. So this is Jesus' last uh, entry into Jerusalem, the palm leaves and all that stuff. Uh, here we are in verse 20 of John. This is God's Word. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may or may not know that I am uh, horrible with directions, and uh, I'm grateful that I've got a GPS in my phone, and before that I had a GPS in my car, and before that I had a GPS that I'm married to. Uh, Tammy is very good with directions. She always knows northeast and uh, all the directions and stuff, and I never do, and so I just kind of wander around just aimlessly uh, all, all the time, and I'm looking for one thing, and it's Poplar Avenue. I know if I can find, in fact, don't I call it my beloved Poplar? I call it my beloved poplar because if I find poplar, at least I'm acclimated and I can know where to go. Uh, From there, uh, all other reference points on my journey can be made known if I can find poplar. Well, uh, here's our big idea today. Uh, It is this. Jesus is always the one you're looking for. If you're looking for the reference point, if you're looking for the help, if you're looking for the hope, if you're looking for the guidance, uh, if you're looking for reality, Um, If you're looking for eternal life, Jesus is always the one you're looking for. Um, If you're a person uh, for whom the church has always been a foreign thing, and you've slept in here, and you're you're giving giving, uh, a church a try, in fact, I've met uh, quite a few, not quite a few, but several people over the years where they'll say, you know, I walked into the, uh, it was the first time I'd ever been in a Protestant church in my life. Or somebody will say, that's the first time I've ever been any, in any church in my life. I've met a couple people like that. I've never been in a church before. They walk in, they're like, wow, they're singing, and somebody's talking, and there's this strange book, and I mean, it's just shocking. But if you're a person who is, um, who is uh, um, searching, and church has been a foreign thing, I can tell you this, that Jesus is the one you're looking for. Or if you're a person who's been grappling with ultimate questions, uh, you're wondering why life is important and uh, why your experiences matter and so on, um, the answer you desire is Jesus. Uh, or if you're a person who's been stuck in a church that's, been left, your, that's left your soul uh, hungry week after week after week, 
um, the reason your soul is hungry week after week after week is that you're searching for Jesus, and, uh, and he's not being presented. <laughs> uh, that's, that's why there's a dissatisfaction, uh, because Jesus is the one you're always looking for. And if you're a person who's uh, a Christian, and um, you're spiritually dehydrated, um, and uh, you're, you're spiritually as uh, you know, uh, dry as sand, um, what are you looking for? It's always Jesus. Jesus is the answer that you're looking for. Uh, he, he always is. Um, all right, so let's move into uh, our message here today. Our first point of three is this, a desire for the real thing. Verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, uh, that would be Passover, were some Greeks. Well, what should catch our attention straight away on that is, um, do you recall any statement anywhere else like that? Um, all of a sudden, there, at, the, at the Passover, there were some Greeks. I mean, that's kind of like this, whoa, whoa, that's a, a very interesting thing to have pop up in the middle of this story. And uh, it's interesting that the, John, the gospel writer, would have wanted to include that, that Jesus has this encounter with these Greeks. And they go to somebody that they know who is Greek, um, Philip, and it's not the first time that Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go to Jesus and so on. Um, but, you know, it's very Hemingway-ish uh, in that it's short and it says a whole lot. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Wow, that's just a, it's a gripping uh, statement. It should, it, should, it should grab us. Now, what I'm actually about to tell you is the end of the story. Um, the shorthand, Jesus came to save the world, and he wins. Okay, that's the end of the story, all right? But it's, it's important to start there uh, for this reason. When I read this, the first thing that came to my mind, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. I went, oh man, that is potent. Uh, You know what else is potent? Oh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I didn't mean to do this. But uh, um, in verse 23, Jesus answered the Greek guys, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I don't want to go too deeply into that, but I mean, yet. But just those two things, these Greeks show up and Jesus makes this statement. He's not like, hey, how you doing? Welcome. Oh, it's so glad to have you at Passover. He says, the, 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 the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's pretty potent, ladies and gentlemen. And so I read those two things, and what does my mind jump back to? Well, um, what is significant about Genesis 12? What happens in Genesis 12? Does anybody know? Huh? The call of Abraham. Now, he covenants with Abraham in chapter 15, but he calls Abram, whose name has not been changed yet, he calls Abram in Genesis 12. He calls Abram, who is an idol worshiper, he's a pagan from Ur of the Chaldees, he's not some special guy who was seeking the Lord and he was so wonderful. God plucks out this guy from Ur of the Chaldees and he calls him. And from the very inception of God's building for himself a nation through whom a deliverer will come from the very beginning of that, he says this to Abram, in you, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. I mean, from the very beginning, that's what God says to Abraham, Abram, from you, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Um, does that change the way you read the significance of these Greek guys showing up at Passover a, a couple days before Jesus is killed? Um, how about this? You, you ever heard this, um, 
Uh, let me uh, read this to you. This is, um, you, you ever heard the, this uh, term, a, the, a, the kernel of salvation, K-E-R, N-E-L, kernel of salvation? Um, it's found in the Bible. It's a, kind of a, just a theological uh, uh, heel uh, mark. Um, but it's, it happens when, Jesus, when God is cursing um, creation, Adam and Eve and creation, and the, and the enemy, the tempter, because of sin. When God is cursing, he says, to, um, he says to the enemy, to Satan, I will put enmity, this is in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman. What does that mean? Huh. So Satan and the woman, who's the woman? There's enmity between Satan and the woman, huh? Uh, what does that even mean? Well, it goes on. I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, people read that and they go, wow, that's unusual. It's, it's on, you know, page three of the Bible. And uh, it's right after the fall, and it's in the curse and everything, but it's a kernel of the gospel. It's hopeful. So from the very beginning, the first readers would look at that and go, wow. All right, so the enemy is being judged, and God's going to put enmity between the enemy and some woman, between the enemy's offspring and the woman's offspring. And from the woman's offspring, somebody's going to have um, his heel bruised, but the offspring of the enemy is going to be crushed. That's a kernel of the gospel. My point, though, is this. From the very beginning, you go... um, um, yeah, some, of the, some translations, they don't have offspring, they have seed. Uh, New American Standard has seed. Berean and Young's literal translation has seed, the seed of the woman. Um, we'll ponder that more in a minute. But the point is this, ladies and gentlemen, that God's intent to save humankind through the Jews as a conduit of blessing is nothing new. It's not some little add-on. Gentiles aren't included as an afterthought. This is the way God intended to save the world from this kernel to the call of Abram. And now these Greek dudes show up uh, at Passover uh, as, as worshipers of Yahweh and wanting to see um, the Savior who was sent and see if it's the real Jesus, the real thing, the real Christ. So when I see Gentile worshipers uh, show up uh, and uh, they approach the Lamb who taketh away the sin of the world. I cannot help but see God's fingerprints all over it, can you? I cannot help but see uh, the trajectory of redemptive history, can you? Well, well, to grasp what is happening here, and particularly why John included it, you have, to, you have to pull verse 19 back in. So let's back up one verse and look at it. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after this Jesus. So you've got the height of religious leadership of the day with their power base and their control and all the perks that come with it, Uh, the ministry uh, back then, not now. Uh, But uh, so you've got the the religious leadership, the uh, the height of education and the height of rulership and the height of religiosity, and they are rejecting this Jesus and plotting to kill him and Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, and and juxtaposed right there with them are these Greek dudes that show up and they, they go, uh, sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
We'd like to see if this is the Messiah, the real Messiah. Uh, and and they couldn't even enter into, uh, into uh, all the parts of the, the temple. There was, a, there was a Gentile court, and they couldn't uh, go all the way into the, 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 the temple. So the former is disturbed by Jesus' claims, and the latter is putting the Old Testament together in their hearts concerning this Jesus who claims to be the fulfillment. Uh, one writer said this, that when the Greeks show up, I love this, when the Greeks show up, it is the shape of things to come. And uh, I don't know if you're as old as I am, but uh, you remember there was a car commercial, the shape of things to come. Does anybody remember what the car was? Huh? TR7, the Triumph, TR7, the shape of things to come. I remember like all commercials ever made. But uh, you remember it was shaped like this. And uh, the commercial, you know, they would, they would have garages shaped like this and uh, parking things shaped like this, so the car would pull in, and it was the shape of things to come. And, you know, in a, kind of in a way, it was. I mean, cars used to be square and blocky, and they had square headlights and everything, and now everything is streamlined and it looks the same. Uh, but um, that was their line, the shape of things to come. After this car, oh, all cars are going to be aerodynamic and pointy like this and knife through the air, and you're going to get good gas mileage and so on. Well, that's what this guy says about these Greeks. They show up, and it's the shape of things to come. Um, we also learn much by the way Jesus interprets um, the approach of these Greek fellows. All right, application for your life. It says in verse 21 that they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. You know, when I see that, I, I don't know exactly what they were thinking and all that stuff, but um, for me, when I, when, I, when I see that and when I... When I let it roll around my heart, you know, I just really think I am so sick of the fake. Aren't you? I'm so sick of the world's offings, um, all the things that are presented as, as things that are going to make life meaningful and um, precious and, and all that. I'm sick of the fake all around me. I'm sick of fake news sources, aren't you? I'm sick of fake political leadership. I'm sick of fake social media where, you know, it's... Mm, mm. You know, I saw this girl take a, a selfie in the airport. Ugh, it was She was like, you know, a nine-foot-tall, gorgeous Romanian. And... Um, you know, she's, you know, if you do this, your hips look smaller for some reason and your face looks thinner. Uh, I didn't know that, so I'm taking all mine like that now. But, but I mean, she was f- fluffing her hair up and fluffing her hair up. She must have taken like 30 pictures over and over and over. I was just going, Bleh. I mean, you got to work that hard to put your best, wonderful self out there. Just everything's so fakey. Uh, profiles in my exciting life and all this stuff. It's just so fakey. What about mass-produced furniture? You know that uh, table in your house that you got from Stash? That's not wood. It's sawdust and glue with a veneer on it. Nothing's real. Don't you know that? Nothing's real. The headboard's not real. The furniture's not real. It's just it's stuff that looks real, but it's not really real, and there's just faux everything. I'm just sick of all that stuff. Um, and uh, I want something that's satisfying at the core of my humanity, don't you? Well, only the real thing is going to satisfy you at the core of your humanity, and it's Jesus. And I'm preaching this to myself, y'all. I chase after plenty of stupid stuff, 
But doesn't that sound good? To be satisfied at the core of your humanity, it's Jesus, friend. But you've got to make sure that you've got the right Jesus, the, the Jesus the Bible gives us. You've got to find the right Jesus, the full Jesus, the true Jesus, the, the essential Jesus. The problem with the religious leadership, the problem with the adoring crowd yelling, Hosanna, 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 is that they were looking for the wrong Jesus. They were looking for the earthly Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom and throw off Roman rule. And Jesus came to set up a spiritual kingdom and change the world from the inside out. You know, this is, I'm totally straying, but uh, don't, you, don't, don't you think, wow, I mean, the Bible would be a perfect opportunity to say slavery is bad. Let's get rid of slavery. But the Bible doesn't do that. You know why? Because God is in the business of changing things from the inside out. He's not saying, oh, let's put this structure in place and uh, get rid of all these things that uh, what God does is he changes the individual from the inside out. And guess what happens? Slavery goes away. Like from the, from it's, it's, there's an epicenter and it spreads out and, I mean, it has is, it is pretty much tackled the world. Well, God changes from the inside out. And so you've got to be careful that um, you're not chasing after feel-good, mushy theology wrapped in Jesus' paper, but you've got to make sure that uh, it's, uh, it's the real Jesus, not a, not a Jesus of your own making. Um, I don't know, any, any Pepsi drinkers in here? Really, look at that. Huh? Well, that's my point. Every time you order up, uh, you'll say, I'll have a Coke, please. And they go, is Pepsi okay? And you're like, no, not really. And it puts the restaurant in, in you know, really, the Pepsi salesman came and sold your boss. Uh, I mean, it's like a half, a, it's like a tenth of a cent per cup. I mean, how much are you making off of Coca-Cola and Pepsi? But anyway, they go, is Pepsi okay? It's like, not really. I mean, in fact, I don't know. I, uh, I used to drink a Diet Coke every day, and uh, now I drink a, a Coke about once every four months. So I decided, you know, I know I'm already big as a house, but uh, I decided, well, if I'm only having one every four months, let's have a real Coke. You know what? They're delicious. <laughs> They're delicious. They're so much better than a Diet Coke. And then it's all so much better than Pespi. Um, anyway, if you're a Coke drinker, it's not okay. Um, is, you ask yourself, is the Jesus I'm worshiping the Jesus of my own making? Is he the Jesus of convenience? Is he the Jesus where grace is cheap? Is he the Jesus that's easy to ignore? Is it he the Jesus that demands uh, nothing on my soul? You want a drink of that? Go ahead. It's bad. But if you want the real thing, if you want life everlasting, if you want forgiveness of sins, if you want a relationship uh, with the God of all things, then only accept the real thing. All right, second point, a time for glory. Um, as I said, we learn a lot about these Greek believers by the way Jesus sees them. Um, in verse 23, Jesus answers them. And we'll camp out on this verse on this whole point here. Jesus answers them. Uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, there's a lot in that. <laughs> um, you remember back in chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus said, uh, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for me to be crucified and die and be the atoning sacrifice. Chapter 2, verse 4, my hour has not come, yet come. Chapter 7, verse 6, my time has not yet come. In uh, chapter 8, verse 20, he uh, sneaks away from arrest uh, because uh, his hour had not yet come. And Jesus will soon pray 
In John 17, in the high priestly prayer, he will soon pray uh, this. It says, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh uh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus will say that soon enough, in a day or so. In prayer, the night he is uh, arrested and the day before he's crucified. But here, he feels the first tinge. The Greeks come up and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And it is then the kernel pops out of the dirt. It is then when uh, it's it's all solidly in Jesus' understanding uh, that the Greeks are uh, yearning for the Savior, and uh, Jesus sees that and interprets it, and he says, the hour has come. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have goosebumps talking about that. Um, Abraham is, a promised, is promised an offspring through which the peoples of the earth will be blessed, and here is Jesus, the apex of the offering, uh, meeting uh, and encountering the Gentile world, world and to Jesus, his hour has come. All right, there's more in this verse, though. Uh, The hour has come, he says, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, let's hit the space bar again, this uh, this Son of Man. You've heard me uh, many times turn your attention to Daniel 7. Uh, That's where you'll find uh, this phrase used so powerfully, the Son of Man. Um, And um, it's this prophetic passage where God the Father is referred to as the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days is sending someone referred to as the Son of Man. And this person called the Son of Man is going to be given a kingdom that rules over all the earth. He is not merely on the earth, but over all the earth. Uh, this, this Son of Man figure comes with a dominion that's an everlasting kingdom. Right? That's in Daniel 7, the, prophetic, the, the second half, the prophetic hunk of uh, Daniel. Um, God the Father, the Ancient of Days, is sending someone, the Son of Man, who's going to have an eternal kingdom. There will be no end to his kingdom. Well, friends, Jesus deliberately calls himself Son of Man. Um, in fact, uh, it's over 80 times in the gospel, 81 depending on who's interpreting it, and there's a couple of little textual difficulties, but, uh, but it, it, at least 81 times uh, in the Gospels it's recorded that Jesus calls himself Son of Man. That is on purpose, friends. He wants people to go, oh, everlasting kingdom, the ancient of days, deliberately puts somebody um, in, a, in a position of dominion and power forever. Uh, also, in the Old Testament, that, that, that term son of man is used so sparingly. You'll find it in other pl- places like uh, Job 16, Psalm 8, uh, Isaiah 56, Ezekiel 2, um, but, and, and a couple other little places, sort of, kind of. But uh, it is used so sparingly in the Old Testament, and Jesus takes this, this kind of, this kind of uh, hidden statement and, and calls himself that. He does it on purpose. It augments Jesus' intentional uh, use of the term. Um, and here's, here's a bazooka for you. Uh, don't turn, but this is in um, Matthew's gospel. Um, Jesus said, um, I tell you, from now on, 
you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yes, Jesus was self-aware. Yes, Jesus was intentional. He called himself Son of Man because he wanted people to make a connection. All right, finally on this verse, we see one more very interesting thing uh, that's on Jesus' mind. Um, Verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Um, Very interesting, that that term being glorified. The question is, um, why does he see this as uh, being glorified? And what does it mean um, that he's glorified? How is he glorified? Well, here's a good good, uh, uh, definition from a commentator. He says, in the word glorified, Jesus sums up everything. The passion as something glorious, the exaltation following as something glorious, the future adoration by the hosts of believers uh, the world over and in heaven as glorious. He sees his saving, atoning work as glorious. It's time for him to be glorified. It's not merely his going back to be in heaven uh, with the Father. It is he sees this whole work, this work, friend, of rescuing you as glorious. You know, there's a famous book by John Murray uh, called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. You ever heard of that book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied? It's basically the Ordo, ordo Salutis, which is the order of salvation, the logical order of decrees, um, uh, a redemption accomplished and applied. But that's, that's, a great, that's a great title, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Jesus did it, and it rescues real people like you. Applied means it worked. Um, you have heard me many times pray. Um, Dr. Young, too, the full and finished work of Christ. Now, that's a very common uh, thing to say and pray, the finished and accomplished work of Christ. Um, for Jesus to, to be glorified, it's not just that he's going back into heaven. Believer, it is to rescue you. It is to accomplish what he had always set out to do. All right, how does this apply to your life? The gospel, friend. Jesus came to this earth, not merely in his exa- as an example, which some people think. He came as an example. Yes, is he an example? Yes. He's not merely an example. Not merely an example of a nice guy, and uh, he was really sweet, and there's some pictures of him, and he's kind of emaciated and kind of humble and, and stuff. That's, that's not what he came to do. Uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, fall prey to a bunch of hooligans, uh, and all of a sudden he went, oh, wait a minute, I was trying to do good, and then they got me, and they captured me, and they crucified me. Wow, I didn't even expect that. That's not what happened. Jesus was sent by the Father on a mission. He says it over and over and over in John's gospel. I was sent, I was sent, I was sent. I'm saying the words that God gave me to say. I'm saving the people that God gave me to save. He says that oh, carrying out the work that God gave me to do, he's, a, he's, a, he's on a mission. And the mission is to live that perfect life, that human life, sinlessly, perfectly, excellently, so that the Father sees no flaw in that life whatsoever, no transgression of the law whatsoever. And then Jesus lays that life voluntarily down 
on a cross in the place of the guilty one so that the judge may say, bang, you're guilty, you paid the sin debt, you're innocent because he paid it for you. That is the gospel message. It's, it's imputation of our sin to Christ and imputation of Christ's righteousness to us in our accounts forever so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see a grimy sinner anymore. He rejoices over us as dear children. Last point, the seed must die. Uh, Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, lest a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, don't discount the smarts of uh, ancient writers. Uh, They know that the seed isn't actually dying. The point is this, uh, the seed doesn't technically die, it's germinated, but it, it it uh, it has to sacrifice itself in a way for something to grow to bring about the life of something new. And then Jesus goes on uh, to make this spiritual uh, parallel. He says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, he's not saying that you have to just not enjoy anything and don't put salt on your food and don't go to a movie and, uh, and don't enjoy anything and go to Destin. He's not saying that. He's saying that um, you can't look at this life and go, this is all there is. I'm going to chase everything in it. I'm going to find all my satisfaction in this life, and uh, then I'm going to die, and there'll be no more. And so this life is what it's all about. Jesus is saying that is wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, you don't change, chase this life. Uh, in a sense, you hate this life because you go, you know what? I would take everything in this life, all that I have, everything that I cling to, everything that I love and care about, and I will surrender it to God. My heart, my sins, my, my aspirations, uh, everything I believe, everything I desire, everything I, everything I, I will ever learn, I want to know what God says about it all. Um, th- that's what it is to, to turn your life over. Um, it goes on to say... Um, in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Well, that again is Jesus as king. Um, you know, there's been controversy over the, over the years about lordship salvation. Have you ever heard that term, lordship salvation? Um, s- some people have said, well, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, make sure that you don't um, accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. And, and, and you'll hear people who give, give their testimony and say, well, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I didn't really make him my Lord until uh, five years ago. Well, that is bogus, y'all. That is cuckoo talk. Um, when you come to this Christ, he is the Lord. You don't just uh, recite a little thing and go, oh, I got my card stamped. Yay. Oh, and then later on, you, you, you make Jesus your Lord. I'm not saying that, that, that we don't resist the Holy Spirit and that we're not in a constant constant temptation to take charge back of our own lives and everything. What I'm saying to you is this, that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord. And don't ever let anybody divide those things. Application for your life. You come to Jesus empty-handed, and if you happen across any other version of the gospel um, along the way, run. Because the real Jesus, the one who gave all, gives all, who give all to him. All right, I close with this. 
Little Grace of Anne's Secret, which I bet you don't know about. I think I may have told you this years ago, but there's a great Little Grace of Anne's Secret. I see it every Sunday. You never, ever, ever, ever see it, and you probably don't even know about this. But on the pulpit, toward the front right here, is a little brass plaque. And so every Sunday, the sermon is preached. Now, I know Dr. Young stands on the steps, okay, so it's not officially over the brass plaque. But, I mean, symbolically, there's a little brass plaque on there. Every word preached here, every lyric sung here, every prayer prayed here goes over that little brass plaque. You know what it says? Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's what these Greeks said. Friend, there's nothing magical about it. But unless Jesus is seen, and not only that, the real Jesus has been seen, then all our efforts are meaningless and our influence is void of hope. Um, so, so examine life, would you? Um, examine life and, and ask yourself, am I desiring this Jesus? Do I wish to see Jesus? And as you hunt around, as you go off to college and you experience school and you have to go to a different church uh, and someday maybe you get married and you go somewhere else and you have to say, well, where's the Lord leading us and so on? Th- ask yourself, Am I seeing the real Jesus? I mean, if you get in there and they're singing, Jesus, I am so in love with you, get out. Because that is a romanticized, ridiculous, foolish gospel. Look for the real Jesus. And, you know, you've heard me say this before, but it's not a bad thing to recite. If you go to some other church, um, you visit for three weeks. If you don't hear the words, holy and blood. Get out. From the sermons, from the songs, if you don't hear the words holy and blood, get out, because there's no real Jesus there. There's no real gospel. Uh, Anyway, ask yourselves this week, uh, where's the real Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we wish to see Jesus, and uh, we who have Him as Savior wish to see Jesus. And those who are yearning, I pray, Lord, that you will show them the beauty of the Savior, the beauty of this thing called grace. It is, it is attractive, O oh God. It is it's baffling that uh, the God of all perfection, who is holy, 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 would have loved sinners and sent a Savior to die for sinners even when they were in their sin so that they might be cleansed and brought into a right relationship. Sir, God, we wish to see Jesus. Show him to our souls this week again and again and again, for it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.